It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey guys, Sophie here, producer of the Vice Guide to Right Now. For today's episode, we've picked one of our favorite shows from the archives, just in case you missed it. I really love this episode, and I hope that you do too. This is the Vice Guide to Right Now, your inside look into the best of Vice. I'm Chris Hardy. This month, we're featuring stories from Vice Magazine's June publication, The Privacy and Perception Issue. It's about identity in the digital age and covers a whole host of cool topics. Today, we're talking to Vice journalist and my friend, Diana Tourget, about online avatars. It's pretty common for people to chalk up video games as a waste of time. I know that I have thought of them that way for a long time. But as a trans kid, Diana Tourget found that video games gave her a level of agency and self-determination that didn't exist in her real life. In fantasy games like Diablo 2, she was able to adopt avatars to reflect how she wanted to be seen, how she saw herself. And these online avatars had a lasting effect on Diana's real-world identities. Today we've got Broadly editor Sarah Burke speaking with Diana about this experience. So when I asked you to write something for this magazine issue, you immediately thought of this idea. Why did avatars come to mind? Why were they so important to you as a young person? Um, Well, I'm transgender, and when I was growing up, I didn't have a lot of options in terms of realizing my gender identity um, in a world that doesn't understand trans kids um, and didn't allow me to express my gender identity in ways that felt real. An avatar was an easy way for me to embody something that could transcend my own gender offline and take it into an online space and feel like I identified more with this virtual entity than I did with the body that I was living in. So can you tell us a little bit more about why you were so interested in video games and avatars specifically, and I guess also a little bit more about yourself? Well, you know, like any young person... In the 90s, I was drawn to video games. I've also always somewhat been an introvert to some degrees. And so I think that gaming allowed me to participate in activities that were more social that I might otherwise not participate in, like sports or, I don't know, things like that. Um, And I think either unconsciously or circumstantially realized that the act of gaming was fulfilling in a way that I hadn't experienced outside of gaming in terms of my concept of who I am as an individual. I would play a video game and the character who I was controlling, my avatar, would have a different body than I have and a different name and a different background and live in a different world and have unique abilities, which to me sort of transcended beyond the adoption of this character in this moment and felt very real in a way that was exciting to me. And so video games went from being something that I did as a matter of interest to also being something that fulfilled 
an aspect of my life that wasn't being fulfilled elsewhere. And a lot of that was around coming of age and identity and feeling like an active participant in a society, even if that society was virtual, um, which is why I was heavily drawn to online gaming in particular, because it involves other people and not just me. I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit about, you know, your first avatar that you became really attached to. What was she like? Well, when I was gaming in the mid-90s, when I was just a kid, it was a lot of consoles like PlayStation and Nintendo 64. And those games were fun, but they were a little more isolated. They were offline and you didn't have a lot of control over character selection typically. By the late 90s, I got involved in online gaming, which was becoming more popular, and started playing this game, Diablo 2, which was the second in a series that sort of chronicles a very dark, gothic story about demons overtaking the earth, the prime evil destruction of mortality and mankind. Deeply gothic, (laughs) deeply epic, deeply me. It fit all my aesthetic interests because I've always um, been attracted to catacombs and fire and blood. But I um, was really drawn to the fact that you could pick one of five, initially five, later seven after the expansion came out. But one of five character classes um, of varied genders And the sorceress class that I chose, I think, was really the first time that I had made sort of a conscious decision around a character that I was picking, who I could name for myself and then go on to create an entire life for in this online space. It was the first massive multiplayer online role-playing game that I really played. I also played a necromancer in that game, and they they were male, but they were very feminine you know, they were very slight. There was nothing male appearing about them. Um, And I also deeply identified with that character. But I think that sorceress specifically um, was something that opened up an avenue for me to feel realized in a way because she didn't feel abstract from who I was. I spent most of my time during the day, throughout the night, waking up early before school, going online into this virtual world and building her life. And that meant, you know, overcoming the trials that were facing her and expanding her social network. And all of that quickly became more interesting to me than going out into the real world every day and trying to do anything comparable with my own life or my real body. When it's interesting because there is a still a strong stigma around people who are very into playing video games and there's not a lot of recognition of the ways in which video games can function as a coping mechanism especially for people, you know, who are potentially having social anxiety or people who have gender dysphoria or things like that. Do you feel like that's how it kind of functioned for you. 
one of the things that really struck me when I was have done reporting around these ideas is um, memory and the things that we've done in the past. And when I was growing up, I spent more time or just as much time in the online town that my sorceress came from than my own hometown. And when I think back to memories of my childhood, so many of them are mixed between my personal experience and my real life um, in the town where I grew up and the virtual village that I spent years and years of my life in as that avatar. Online experiences, especially ones that are sort of bring you into a real experience like if you're playing a video game where it's not just a message board, it's not just text, you're experiencing something visual and something embodied and you are controlling a character who has like real impact on the world in which they are residing in. If you're engaged in something like that, then philosophically, it's an interesting question about what was the difference between that and something that's happening in the real world. There are some obvious examples that you could offer, but on a personal and experiential and personal development level, I think that people often overlook the significance of video games and the way in which virtual spaces and virtual identities can be immensely beneficial for both people who are struggling with their identities and people who are physically disabled from engaging with the real world. There are, one philosopher told me that, you know, World of Warcraft can be a life-saving place for someone who's, you know, bound to their bed if they have a physical disability that doesn't enable them to leave their home. Absolutely. That's really fascinating. And you write really poetically in the piece about the ways in which your experiences as a younger person playing video games have influenced who you are today and kind of carried with you both in the ways that you style yourself and what your interests are. Can you kind of talk a little bit about that? When I was growing up, it was difficult for me to even imagine the kind of person that I could be in the world or a future for myself that seemed interesting to me or worth um, investing in or creating. And specifically as a trans person, there is an immense lack of, especially in the early 21st century and the late 20th. For me, living in a small suburban area, there wasn't any sort of social model for me to look to in order to sort of frame my own identity around or even as a reference point. I wasn't looking to culture and seeing things that resonated with me. So video games in all of their sort of gothic splendor, the games that I've been interested in, really created, you know, my palette of interests in terms of fleshing out like a really beautiful sort of world that I wanted to live in more than this one that definitely was both productive and reflective of my interests aesthetically and also the experiences I was having developmentally in terms of relating to um, this other area of life that I could control more than I could control my life here. 
I also continued at the same time to experiment with my gender and my my real life, but it never really matched the way in which I was doing that online. And I was never enjoying my real life as much as I enjoyed the life that I was able to live in a virtual space. And so throughout that period of time, I continued to invest more and more in the space that had never really judged me, the space that really didn't have these same kind of social hierarchies. Um, gaming can be an intensely sexist, transphobic, and homophobic and racist place, which is sort of an odd hypocrisy about all of this, that a lot of the people I was playing with probably were some of the more toxic people in the real world. But online, even if someone says something like that, it just had different level of repercussions because there was a different level of equity between me and another player. Someone could say something, but they don't know who I am. They don't know what I really look like. And they have no control over my character or what she does in the world. And so at the end of the day, what this person is saying is just something I've seen being said in the real world, but by some invisible human being behind an avatar who in my eyes is lesser than mine because I've collected more valuable rings than they have and can probably defeat them in duels. So it was a different sort of equity that I was able to establish in an online space. And do you still have the same relationship with video games or did you find that you eventually grew out of that relationship? There came a time in my life, which was in my early 20s, after pretty much living in the world of Diablo 2 for a decade, where I had gone through a lot of personal experiences and difficulties that I was having, obviously, as a result of this difficult adolescence I had gone through, this lack of personal self-fulfillment and the negative consequences that result from not being able to express yourself in your world. And circumstances changed in my life in such a way that I was able to sort of start taking better care of myself and receive the help that I needed in order to um, value myself enough and also become informed enough about transgender identity and the potentials and possibilities for people like me. I remember this sort of conscious decision that I had to make between choosing to live a life in the real world and choosing some ways to leave behind the life that I'd been living online for so long, which isn't to say that I necessarily stopped playing video games completely, but that if I was going to make the decision to survive and continue to live and change my life and live a healthier lifestyle and really try and be an active participant of this offline society, then I was going to do so in a way that brought with it just as much um, power and magic and meaning as the identity that I had developed over time in the online world. And so that meant carrying over the things that had mattered to me and been real to me in that online world. So for me, that in some ways meant emulating my avatar, you know, taking these aspects of my online avatar identity and bringing them offline, growing my hair out in a way that sort of looks like the character I had related to more than the person I was when I was young or dressing in a way that feels more familiar to Diablo 2 than it does to the United States getting a tattoo of something that, you know, I would have embedded into a socketed piece of rare armor that I found in the River of Fire in Act 4 of Diablo 2 on my way to the um, sigils that would unlock Diablo from his chamber to be destroyed and rid from this world forever after crushing his soul stone on the Hellforge. And bridging those two worlds made me feel like, okay, this life is livable. And so I blended, very much blended the online identity I had created with the new identity I was coming into 
in my offline life. And in that way was able to feel like I had finally become that person who I had longed to be on the internet. And so you wrap up the piece really wonderfully talking about how you say you'll always be a student of transmutation and you continue to really love avatars and you continue to play games. What are some of the avatars that you play with today? What do those look like? So I still do um, have avatars and thank God um, technology has advanced because the sort of customization that I could accomplish in Diablo 2 was nothing in comparison to the sort of customization that I can accomplish in online role-playing fantasy games today, like from the shape of someone's face to their height and the width of their neck and their hair color and things like that. There are a certain degree to which I reflect my avatar and my avatar now reflects me, but there's always a greater degree of um, customization that I'm going to be able to achieve in an online space. So this world will never really be able to meet the standard of customization that I would prefer. And so I've had to find a balance between investing in online spaces and also continuing to care about the life that I live offline. Because even now, today, I still sometimes would rather live in a virtual space than in this world. But I think it's become more of a mutually beneficial experience today, and I just have to learn how to balance it more. I truly would like to be a brain inside of a metal box that could just engage in a virtual world. I don't really want to be here, but I am here and I've chosen to be here. And if I'm going to stay here, I'm probably going to keep playing online video games while I do it. Well, we're happy you're here. We're happy to have you, Diana. Thank you for having me. I have uh, begrudgingly accepted my presence. Make sure to check out the full article in Vice Magazine's June issue or vice.com. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. And tune in again on Wednesday for another Vice Guide to Right Now.